My guest standing by from Madison, Wisconsin is Lisa Graves. She is the executive director of the Center for Media and Democracy. They published PR Watch, Source Watch, and Bankster USA. She previously served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the federal government as leading strategist on civil liberties advocacy and as an adjunct law professor at one of the top law schools in the country. Her former leadership posts include a Deputy Assistant Attorney General at the U.S. Department of Justice, Chief Counsel for nominations for the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, and Senior Legislative Strategist for the American Civil Liberties Union uh, on national security and surveillance policies. She has testified as an expert witness before both the Senate and House and has frequently appeared as an expert across the different radio and television networks. And the Center for Media and Democracy recently obtained documents outlining over 800 bills vetted and approved by major corporations along with Republican officials who uh, comprise the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. Now, it's been discovered that these bills are designed to rewrite state laws and target just about every area of American life. So when major corporations find that it's in their interest to privatize the prison system, well, how can they do that? They have to have people in those cells. Well, how do you get people in a prison cell? Why, well, why don't you put them in there for 20 years for having a small amount of marijuana? In some cases, in some states, that's the law. They also don't like unions or workers' rights. They don't like civil liberties. They don't like corporate oversight. They don't like health care. They don't like utility taxations. For all of these, they have the power to change the legislation. Let us say hello now to Lisa Graves to take us on this journey of understanding. Nice to have you with us today, Lisa. Oh, thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me on. <clears throat> First, let's begin with just the basics. Most people are in, of the impression that their state <clears throat> legislators, when they bring a bill to uh, in a committee or a law into a state, that it's meant to help the citizens, the constituents. If they're going to change any law, it's because to better protect the citizens. Now you're telling us that after this investigation, over 800 pieces of legislation were proposed, you'll tell us how many actually passed in some form, that did not represent the needs of the citizens of a given state, but rather these special interests working behind the scenes, all with non-transparency, so that your legislator would come out looking as if they were really doing something. And since the average person doesn't know diddly squat about what goes on in their own state capital, it's a very arcane process. Most people have lives to live and don't pay attention to what's happening until it's long after the fact. Take us step by step through this entire process to show us whether or not this is ethical, moral, legal, or not, and what have been the consequences. The form is yours. Hmm. Well, I think um, a lot of people have learned about how a bill becomes a law through their <clears throat> high school or college civics classes. And, um, you know, while I think most Americans understand that there is a certain amount of lobbying that does go on uh, by various special interests, what ALEC is is very different than uh, what anyone really may expect uh, happens. <clears throat> I'm someone who's been in government and also has been a lobbyist, and I have for instance, asked for uh, legislators to consider uh, changes to make the Patriot Act less harmful to civil liberties. 
Um, and some members were interested in those changes and some members were not. But I've never uh, gone into a meeting or gone to some resort where I've actually been given an equal vote to legislators on proposed changes to the law. And that's what really happens through ALEC. So ALEC is an organization that was founded uh, about almost 40 years ago, and it's really flown below the radar screen for most Americans. The most famous ALEC in America isn't the American Legislative Exchange Council, but ALEC Baldwin. And um, there's a lot uh, of, of things that people need to learn about the other ALEC, uh, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Um, ALEC is an organization that uh, has, um, it says that it has almost 2,000 legislators as members, and while it describes itself as, as the largest nonpartisan and independent group of legislators in the country, in fact, over 98% of its revenue, um, which is about $7 million a year, <clears throat> over 98% of its funding comes from corporations and sources other than those legislators. So really, ALEC is a corporate lobby, in the words of my uh, colleagues at Common Cause. What it is is a corporate bankrolled organization that pushes a corporate agenda in the states through these legislators. Um, and how that happens is that ALEC gives what it calls scholarships to your state legislator to travel to a resort in another state um, to meet behind closed doors with uh, corporate lobbyists in meetings where the press and the public is not allowed to be. And in those meetings on ALEC task forces, corporate lobbyists and state elected officials, politicians, actually vote as equals on templates to change our laws. So uh, to date, they have voted on well over 850 bills um, as model bills, as ideal bills to be passed in the various states. And um, each year, ALEC has bragged and boasted that in the 50 states in the country, over 1,000 ALEC bills get introduced uh, across those 50 states, and at least 20% of them become law, meaning they become legally binding on the rest of us. And yet most of us have never heard of ALEC. Um, and that's in part because ALEC claims it doesn't lobby, which is quite shocking given the documentary evidence that we have and that others have. And so ALEC doesn't disclose its role to state citizens through public uh, filings uh, showing its influence on these bills. But privately, ALEC boasts to its corporate members that their agenda advances because of ALEC, because these bills are pre-approved by ALEC corporations and ALEC politicians behind closed doors. And um, then many of these legislators come back to your state house and introduce these bills cleansed of any reference to the fact that they were pre-voted on by corporate lobbyists sitting as equals, unelected, unaccountable corporate lobbyists sitting as equals with your elected state official um, and then ratified by Alec's board as an, as an ideal or model bill for the nation. And so we've been shining a spotlight on that through our website, Alec Exposed, A-L-E-C-E-X-P-O-S-E-D dot org, dot O-R-G. And um, we have been working to highlight uh, Alec's role in a number of very controversial measures that make, make us less safe and that uh, harm our economic prospects as a people. I appreciate that overview. Does it only uh, relate to the state legislatures, or is it also in any way involved uh, pushing uh, laws at the federal level? 
Well, that's a great question. Alec has, um, it's sort of in some ways if you were um, differentiating between the federal system and the state system, some of these state legislators are kind of like the farm team or the minor leagues in some respects to the major leagues of Congress. And so what happens is that Alec sort of gets its clutches um, on uh, state legislators, and as those state legislators grow in power and sometimes run for Congress, um, they have already been sort of invested in through the ALEC process and have been inculcated, have been um, spoon-fed these policy positions and um, arguments, and then they make, then they end up in the legislature. And right now, in the United States House of Representatives, uh, the two most powerful men in the United States House of Representatives are ALEC alums. Uh, that's John Boehner and Eric Cantor. Um, so there are ALEC alums in the, in the federal legislature who are advancing the ALEC agenda there. Um, and there are also ALEC alums in the governorships. Uh, Scott Walker of Wisconsin, the notorious governor of my home state, is an ALEC alum. Uh, John Kasich of Ohio is an ALEC alum. The controversial Mitch Daniels of Indiana is not an ALEC alum, but he's been an ALEC cover boy, uh, featured uh, for advancing the ALEC agenda in his state. And uh, Jan Brewer, uh, just to name a few, uh, Jan Brewer of Arizona, who's pushed a lot of ALEC bills into law there, is an ALEC alum. And so ALEC's influence is both at the state level and the federal level. Most recently, at the federal level, um, ALEC has been pushing an agenda which they call the EPA train wreck. Um, and they have been opposing the regulation of uh, carbon uh, and carbon outputs uh, by factories, and they've also been opposing any effort by the EPA to um, protect us from the dangers of coal ash, this enormous, uh, enormously contaminated byproduct of coal burning. Uh, there have been major industrial accidents in the U.S. with a, a coal sludge, coal ash sludge that um, struck a a city in the south and just devastated it. And it's not just the potential for the coal ash to sort of break free from where it's confined, but its ability, the ability of the substances to basically migrate into our water supply. And so um, that bill, a, a bill that, uh, and a, a resolution and bill that Alec had proposed at the state level to prevent coal ash regulation was headed to law in the United States Congress, and it was just stopped this past week uh, through the intervention of a couple of members who were very concerned about that agenda. Um, and so while they were almost able to um, succeed in their agenda in stopping coal ash regulation, at the very last minute that was blocked. You have background in law and uh, in prosecution, in government oversight. Could you explain to me the difference between government agencies or their agents and policymakers within government agencies meeting privately with major corporate interest, and tell me how that is not fascism? <laughs> well, I, I have worked on criminal policy. I haven't uh, been a prosecutor, although I worked at a prosecutor's office um, before in my career. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's really deeply troubling because um, while it is the case that lobbyists uh, do meet with members, um, members of Congress and members of the state houses, they'll call on their offices just like you or I could go to an office and request a meeting with a legislator. This is very different because in this process, um, ALEC uh, provides a forum. It's a procurer, in essence, of a forum for legislators and lobbyists to meet 
behind closed doors and vote as equals on potential changes to our laws. But we didn't vote them into office. We gave them no power. We know nothing about them. How can someone vote as an equal on a law within a state if no one in the state knows the person, knows that they are bringing their agenda to the table, and in effect the legislators are merely joining with them in bringing something forward when we don't know the other half of the uh, person involved? well, it, it, it's, it's quite shocking because even though the law is not changed yet, it's not binding at the time that it comes out of the ALEC process, the fact is we've seen in state after state that what happens is when an ALEC majority takes hold in a state, as it took hold in Wisconsin, what you have is ALEC legislation that's introduced in the state house. Um, the process for hearing is, very, is given very short shrift. Um, amendments are typically voted down, not even a comma is permitted to be changed, and the bills become law. And so while it is in fact the case that the bills aren't law at the moment that the corporate lobbyists vote as equals with the politicians um, on the model bill, what we've seen in state after state is that these ALEC legislators are putting that bill forward and not allowing it to be changed through the hearing process or the markup process uh, which is the process by which amendments are added to a bill to ameliorate problems or to help uh, deal with things that weren't thought of that citizens in the state may have raised in a hearing. In Wisconsin, for example, on the uh, changes to the rules for Wisconsin citizens who were injured or killed by corporations, the ALEC majority in the state, the Republicans who were in charge of getting that bill through, voted down or tabled every single Democratic amendment to protect Wisconsin citizens after a single hearing that was allowed on that bill that dramatically changes the rights of, of Wisconsin okay, citizens. Then, and that's happened in other states as well. But did those Democrats in your state bring to the media's attention that these Republicans who were voting for it a, did not create it. It was created by an outside lobbyist for corporate special interest. And then, in effect, they were, they were pimping for major corporate interest. Sorry to put it in such a, a, you know, a crass way, but I don't see any other way to state it. Did they stand up and say, these are not bills that the legislators within Wisconsin came to a decision on on their own. These were given to them, coached, uh, written polished, and then brought forward as if this was of their own uh, uh, own input. And it wasn't. Did they do that? No, and that's because no one knew. No okay. one knew. And so, right. and so what, uh, this happened last uh, January here in Wisconsin. It happened in many other states. Um, no one knew really which bills were ALEC bills until we um, received a tip from a whistleblower, until a whistleblower contacted me with these bills. And I worked with my team at the Center for Media and Democracy and made those bills um, widely available and analyzed them so that people could understand what the bills were about. Um, and so only since last summer have uh, other legislators, have, have, have the press and citizens been able to actually compare what bills have been moving in our state houses this past year and before then um, with the ALEC model and be able to see that those bills were um, bills that were uh, are, are echoes or identical to ALEC legislation. And so only in the last year have people been able to document uh, those connections and disclose them and try to stop bills because of those connections. I'd like to go back almost 20 years. At that time, I was receiving calls from a few individuals within New Jersey and New York and Connecticut 
within the range of the radio station I was on, both on ABC Radio Network as well as WBAI, the non-commercial radio program. And I was being told, Gary, there's a, a law that's imminent that's going to ma- mean that unless you're a registered dietitian, you will not be able to practice nutrition in this state. And I thought, that's strange. Well, okay, are you talking about if you're a nutritionist from a diploma mill? No, we're talking about a legitimate um, Harvard um, Ph.D. You would not be able to practice and call yourself a nutritionist. And yeah. I said, I said, okay. So I, I looked into it, and indeed I saw an egregious examples. Not only was it egregious in what it limited, but there are actually fines uh, and severe penalties, legal penalties, if a person was fined in violation. So we met with some state legislators and asked them, come on the air and talk about this. And in New Jersey specifically, they did. Now, over the next seven years, that same piece of legislation was brought up at least six times. In each case, by very narrow margins, the people in my audience, in fact, the largest number of listeners in my audience are from New Jersey, uh, they, they called, they lobbied, and the people won. And then one day, out of the clear blue, I get a call and say, well, they just passed it today. Now, no one knew, and I hadn't heard that it was being passed. I contacted the legislator who had been on our side before. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, she said, Gary, it it comes down to this. The American Dietetic Association was all over this and had been from day one. And I needed to get a bill that I have passed. And the deal was, if I give my vote on this, they will give me their vote. And that's politics. I'm sorry. I wish it weren't so. The same identical bill popped up in all 50 states. But now they had one state to use as a template. I mean, almost instantly. And I'm thinking, how in the world would all 50 states know about what went on in New Jersey? How would they all have the same language in their bill? Who's driving this? And I couldn't get behind the scenes. All I knew is the American Dietetic Association, a contemptible organization that I hold in total disrespect because of all of its magazines. I have a whole catalog. I was going to bring a major class action lawsuit uh, against the American Dietetic Association and still may. And uh, based upon how many people have become sick because of ads they have placed for products and foods that are wrong and even their teaching and being a registered dietitian, graduating in dietetic school before I went on to my advanced degrees in nutrition and a Ph.D. in clinical nutrition from Union Graduate School, uh, I can tell you that there was no dietitian in the country, dietitianist, I would have trusted with my health because uh. their ads, oh, you know, sugar's good, uh, not uh. to worry, and all these things. And then you see the, the people sponsoring, giving money, the Coca-Cola and these other people. In any case, I didn't know about Alec. Now... There is no question that when we look and see who are the Alec companies, the sponsoring, there are all the companies, all the fast food companies. So it's simple. If you get legislation in there that only a registered dietitian can practice nutrition within a state, either free or fee. So even if you wanted to donate your time, you couldn't get away with it. And then they passed them. And some were egregious. I remember once in Ohio, I got a call from a woman who has a master's degree in clinical nutrition at UCLA. And she said, what do you suggest? I'm about to lecture in Ohio. And I was just informed that because I'm not a registered dietitian, I could actually be arrested. 
and have oh. a, a $5,000 fine. I said, well, where in Ohio? And she told me, I said, well, I'm from the high, I'm, I'm, I was born and raised in Parkersburg and right across the Belpre Bridge is Ohio. Uh, and I also lived in Steubenville, Ohio, and I live in Weirton, West Virginia, across the river and, and in Wheeling. I said, so find you're only about 20 miles away from the border, cross over where they don't have that, and then give your lecture. And she's, well, how am I going to get the people come to my lecture? And sure enough, when she went to the lecture, there were two people there, she said, with tape recorders and suits, hmm. listening to see if she gave any information. So she said, I'm sorry, the law was such here, I cannot uh, give a free lecture on health in this hospital. So she asked the people who would join her, and they drove some 17 miles across the border, and in a, um, in a church there, she gave a lecture to a far smaller audience, but it got, kept her out of trouble. Now, it's hard to imagine. I did a series of broadcasts with her at the time. It's hard to imagine that in a country that uh, respects our First Amendment, that you could actually go to jail and be fined if you talk about health for free in one of these states. Now, that's got Alex's rotten, crummy, degenerate fingerprints all over it. And I believe we should be looking to see about bringing some class action lawsuits or some litigation. We've got to get these people into court so we can do discovery and see all their nefarious acts. In any case, we now know that uh, the people who are behind this, why would, why? why would you want a law that only a registered dietitian and not a nutritionist? Because a nutritionist today, they, they are more rounded. They look right. at exercise, environmental factors, mm-hmm. stress factors, body-mind factors, quality of diet, and they absolutely reject any qualified nutritionist I know today. Absolutely mm-hmm. rejects the standard American diet, high in fats. But a dietitian worships the crapple. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, look at them. They're a mess. They're a mess intellectually. They're a mess physically. They're they give you a garbage diet. And in one year, I documented fifty thousand Americans died of malnutrition. They contracted in a hospital from dietitians. Mm-hmm. So, on the one hand, you're not going to ever be told, don't drink your colas, don't eat your hamburgers, don't eat your french fries, don't eat your other uh, food, uh, and don't worry about disease. Just have your protein, fats, carbohydrates, and that's it. So, you can start getting good nutritionists in there. Nobody will ever again go to a dietitian unless they're a holistic dietitian and went on and did additional studies. Your thoughts? Hmm. Well, I would love to look in uh, to the record more to see about um, any links between the funders um, or donors to the American Dietetic Association and ALEC to see where that overlap is, because it's certainly the case that we've seen uh, a number of corporations that are, um, uh, you know, benefit from the sale of these, you know, very sugary um, uh, drinks um, who were members of ALEC, for example, earlier this year, Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola both dropped out of ALEC. Uh, they said that they were only in ALEC because they were opposing uh, beverage taxes, basically, um, that were being proposed in cities like New York and elsewhere to deal with this incredible um, outbreak, this, um, this uh, you know, tremendous plague of diabetes that is uh, uh, happening in the country. Um, so they tried to claim that they were only in ALEC for that reason, and they shouldn't be held accountable for ALEC's legislation on the gun issue. Um, for instance, the bill that passed in Florida uh, that uh, was cited to protect Trayvon Martin's shooter is a bill that was ratified by ALEC as a model bill after it passed. Um, and was pushed in states across the country, and ALEC had been, has been pushing for legislation to make it harder for American citizens to vote. 
through restrictive uh, rules on ID that are far more restrictive than many states already had on the books. Um, and so interestingly, uh, those two major um, cola companies uh, tried to say, don't hold us accountable for the gun legislation or the voting legislation, even though they were bankrolling Alec for a number of years. They said, we were just in it, we were just in it for the sugary drinks that we didn't want regulated. Um, and so there's just no doubt that in that area and numerous other areas, you have corporations um, that are pushing bills basically to protect their bottom line, but that don't necessarily have the interests of American citizens uh, at, at heart. Um, there are bills within the ALEC portfolio, so that if your state legislators or ALEC legislators and they say that you can't regulate uh, GMOs, uh, genetically modified um, substances, to say that you can't regulate certain pesticides, uh, or to say that you can't um, uh, limit the ability of these factory farms or factory farm industrial farming operations to be put in your neighborhood, so that you can't use your local government. You can't go to your city or your county and pass uh, laws through local democracy to protect yourselves against these uh, GMO products or against these pesticides or against having a nuclear plant sited in your backyard. So um, ALEC corporations are working to basically capture the state legislatures ac across the country in order to benefit the corporations that bankroll ALEC and make it more difficult for us to have real democracy and to have our voices heard, even at the city and county level, to protect ourselves if the, leg if the state legislature sells us out. Let's take a look at something you just mentioned in more depth. We're very concerned about the dangers, known dangers, proven dangers, of genetically engineered organisms. No major media in the United States has reported on the 257,000 known suicides in India alone from farmers who lose their land on the day their land is foreclosed on when they could not repay the loan for that they took out on the genetically engineered seed and, uh, and now the crop doesn't bear what it needs. They just go into the field, take the pesticide, drink it, and lay and die. How do I know that? It's my new film. It's a harrowing picture to see someone who's told his family he's going to die. They're going to lose their land. And it's his way of showing his absolute and complete contempt for a system that is so corrupt. Well, we know that the, in India there's a class system and, uh, and, and even a caste system in India that's more severe than anything we've seen currently in the United States, especially with the untouchables. And there's no help for these farmers. And yet Monsanto is the biggest promoter in India of genetically modified seeds. Now, when you look at Monsanto's background and you look at how many times they've been held accountable and paid fines, hefty fines, for acts that you and I, if we engaged in, we would end up in jail. And yet the American media has not touched the background of, uh, of any of these corporations. Example, they haven't touched anything about the danger of genetically engineered in engineered organisms, how highly litigious Monsanto is about going after farmers, even farmers, organic farmers, who may have a seed from an adjacent farm dropped by a bird or wind or a storm onto their property, and then they say, oh, we're suing you because you have a seed that you didn't sign a contract for us, and end up winning, bankrupting the farmers. We have that in our film as well. Mm. And yet this very nefarious reputation is never brought up when these people have the power of the media to convince people and legislators that we need genetically engineered material. 
what could that end up doing at the state level through ALEC to allow them to have power over pesticides and power over genetically modified seeds and crops without any safety standards or consumer input or activist input in in the entire United States. Give us your thoughts on that. Well, we do know that Monsanto has been a member of ALEC in past years. Um, we don't have the current <clears throat> list of corporations that are involved in ALEC, but we do know that they were definitely a member of the of ALEC in the past. And um, you know, it, we, the, 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 the things you've described are just shocking and horrifying. Um, I think one of the one of the biggest threats, quite frankly, to our food supply right now as a as a nation and as a people in the world is the fact that some corporations a couple a handful of corporations literally are trying to control the seed storehouses uh, for the planet and restrict which um, which seeds can be planted as you point out and limit um, limit access to those seeds and then basically promote their own seeds, uh, many of which are genetically modified for a monoculture agricultural environment, which has the effect of, you know, really uh, ultimately it has health effects, but it also health effects for human beings, but it also has an effect on, um, you know, the culture of a, of a city or a country in terms of having uh, producing uh, things like in the Philippines, uh, having things, having your, your sustenance crops uh, basically phased out because corporations come in and insist on monoculture, like sugar beets, for example, to um, produce sugar. Uh, you can't live on sugar beets. Uh, you, can't, you have to then basically get your, your, your food produce from someplace else while all around you you're surrounded by these crops that aren't really for your, for your uh, consumption um, and are for export to someone else. Um, often those crops are genetically modified in, in ways that um, I think uh, pose significant dangers. Um, you, you know, both both for agricultural diversity, but also, I think you know people have raised a number of concerns about what happens with the consumption of these products. And um, I think that from from the standpoint of of what Alec has done in this area is, I think, really destructive of democracy because. Um, you know, your state legislature, many people don't even know who, their, who the state rep is who supposedly represents them in the state house. Um, they're not often covered in the news. You know, a lot of the news coverage is, is based on Congress. And so I think people don't have a lot of contact with their state legislatures, but they do have some contact with their counties or their cities, um, you, know, they, they, um, you know, in the city they live in. And so if your state house has basically... Uh, been sold out to some of these big corporations and is doing the bidding of the big corporations, your only uh, refuge may be uh, in your city or your county to be able to say, not in our county, not in our backyard. Are we going to allow these GMOs? Are we going to allow these pesticides, these pesticide applications that, you know, um, these poisons to be spread on fields in, in, and in ways that risk the health of our children, uh, the health of our animals, um, the the health of the, our plants in terms of them being um, covered with, uh, you know, uh, these poisons that are um, blown onto the fields. Um, you know, the notion that you as a, as a person in this country, as a citizen in this country, can't exercise local democracy to protect yourself through your local city or county um, from some of these dangers, that you'll be blocked in doing so by a state house that might be basically bought and sold. Uh, by some of these corporations is just it's it's astonishing and outrageous. 
two more areas I'd like for you to address, if you would, please. One is the energy cartels and what influence do you have a, any evidence that they have participated to their benefit, especially the so-called oxymoronic clean coal movement and the mountaintop removal throughout Tennessee and Appalachia and West Virginia and Pennsylvania and Kentucky. Um, also, the nuclear, uh, the hidden nuclear subsidies and the, uh, the reframe that all nuclear is clean, it's inexpensive, and it's, uh, and it's uh, green. It's none of the above, but they're getting a lot of power, and we have a whole lot of difficulty closing any of these dangerous plants. And also with gas hydrofracking, especially uh, on the Marcellus Shale, which goes through New York and Pennsylvania and Ohio, and uh, where the governor of New York is going to open up gas hydrofracking on the poorest counties like Tioga County and the others bordering Pennsylvania, where the inducement uh, or the sales pitch, oh, we'll put these welds up, that won't be a problem, it's going to bring jobs, it's going to bring revenues to you, not realizing that when you look at the actual amount of revenues that they get, it's almost nothing. The amount of destruction and devaluation of the property and hence the tax base is substantial and the pollution of the environment is almost uh, devast- it's one of the most devastating things you can do with 200 different chemicals and millions of gallons of water pumped down these holes. What have they been doing, if anything, that you're aware of with ALEC? Well, that's a terrific question. It's, it's, um, it's quite clear that ALEC is a major vehicle for these um, energy corporations, uh, these polluting corporations, to advance their agenda. Uh, on the issue of coal, Peabody Coal, which is, the, I think, one of the largest privately held corporations in the world um, and certainly is a major, uh, a major uh, corporate entity in the world of coal. Uh, it's, an, it's an ALEC member. It's also a state co-chair um, in some states uh, in terms of pushing its <clears throat> uh, agenda in particular states. Um, and ALEC's agenda in this area is quite clear. Uh, ALEC has had numerous um, bills and resolutions that oppose the very idea that there's a cli- climate change is happening. Um, <clears throat> it has uh, uh, pushed uh, opposition to any measures to really deal with climate change, including even regional agreements among states to deal with, to deal with greenhouse gases. Um, and then last summer, sort of at, basically after we launched ALEC Exposed, they had a, a, a sort of strange session in which um, it's, they were sort of starting to pivot on climate change because they had a session called um, uh, Warming Up to Climate Change, How Increased CO2 is Good for You. And the fake expert uh, who basically led that session for ALEC legislators to indoctrinate them on total disinformation actually suggested that, that because during the 20th century uh, levels of CO2 output had increased, and at the same time, uh, lifespan had increased. Therefore, um, CO2 led to increased lifespan, um, which is just a shocking, uh, you know, basically a, a, a high school student level uh, mistake in reasoning to call correlation causation. But the very idea that just because there's more CO2, we live longer is basically absurd on its face. Um, but ALEC, uh, through ALEC Corporations, has pushed this agenda, has bankrolled this agenda. The corporations that are heavily involved in ALEC over these past several years include Coke Industries, 
which is led by the Koch brothers, which is one of the largest privately held corporations in the world, and they're two of the richest men in the world. They're 23rd and 24th richest. If you combine their wealth, it's you know basically the top 10 richest men on the planet in the history of the world, almost. Um, and uh, Koch Industries and a number of different aspects of the things they fund are longtime members of ALEC, including their group Americans for Prosperity uh, and other entities. And then you have corporations like Exxon and BP, who are longtime ALEC members who have uh, advanced ALEC's agenda. On the issue of nuclear, um, uh, nuclear power, it's quite clear that ALEC has been advancing the agenda of the nuclear industry. It has pushed to streamline um, the siting of um, nuclear plants um, and uh, other power plants, uh, so basically making it easier for them to put plants wherever they want. Um, and they have uh, pushed for resolutions uh, expressing support for uh, increasing the use of nuclear energy. <clears throat> on the fracking issue, which is, I think, perhaps one of the, the most under, uh, under-reported stories uh, and yet mo- one of the most important stories um, in the past few years. Um, that issue is just astonishing to me, in part because I know that they have uh, worked hard uh, they worked hard to get bipartisan support for fracking. They've worked on the Obama administration, on the Bush administration. Um, they've worked on Democrats and Republicans in the state houses to push forward this agenda. But what most Americans don't realize is that these wells, um, to get this, na- this so-called natural gas or methane gas out of the shale, spoils, it spoils millions of gallons of water. Each well can, spill, can spoil millions of gallons of drinkable water. Then that water is contaminated with the fracking fluids, the fluids used for the drilling, as well as some of the contaminants that are in the ground as they, as they bore through um, you know, uranium or other radioactive um, rock. Um, that water comes out contaminated. And then these companies, having taken your water, your drinkable water, uh, to get this gas out, then inject that contaminated water into wells. And those wells, uh, certainly those, that water can travel back into our water system. And so they're basically taking out clean, drinkable water for us, uh, using it uh, to drill these wells, um, and then they're putting that spoiled water back into the ground. It's astonishing. And I think if Americans understood the choices they were facing, you know, water is a renewable resource, but it's not fully renewable. We're wasting and squandering enormous millions, if not billions, I think it's far closer to billions of gallons of water on fracking. Uh, We just recently covered a story in Pennsylvania where a corporation, a water company, basically a for-profit water company, bought a mobile home park in order to take out millions of gallons of water from the Susquehanna River, just just steal the water, basically, take it, claim that it's theirs for the taking for free, to pump off to use in drilling. Um, And we're not being asked as a people what choice we would make between being able to drink water uh, and have and preserve our drinking water and have uh, these corporations have access to these natural gas wells. And the other piece that has not been told is a piece I've been working on for the last three years almost um, since I first started looking at fracking. Um, I discovered that uh, the export rates for natural gas in this country are skyrocketing. And so what you have is people in this country being told that we've got to drill uh, we've got to drill in New York and Pennsylvania in order to get this gas out for our national security. Um, it's, it's for our own national security that we access these wells. And what we see is that 
the a, a significant portion of this gas that's being harvested that can't be um, that can't be stored easily for long periods. Once it's harvested, they want to use it. That a, a significant portion of gas and an increasing amount every single year is being exported to other countries. So to just to conclude on that, what you see is um, a situation in which our natural gas resources, if we ever needed them in the future, are being tapped by corporations willing to sell those, those, that gas to the highest bidder while spoiling our water, uh, spoiling billions of gallons of our water, and trying to put that contaminated water back into our water supply. It is, it is an astonishing, outrageous circumstance, and Alec has numerous bills and has had numerous seminars dedicated to advancing the fracking agenda. One last area, please, Lisa, and that is pharmaceuticals. Right now, Richard Gale, our executive producer and myself, have completed 19 articles, major articles, on the subject of the safety and efficacy of vaccines. The latest by Dr. Nancy, actually on my staff and myself, was on Gardasil. What we did, we simply looked at the truth is Gardasil safe? Is it effective? Will it help prevent cervical cancer? And should it be given to all these young girls? Because it was being mandated uh, by states, advocated and then mandated in all the states. When we looked at the science, including detailed descriptions of its lack of efficacy in science by the actual originator of it, as well as Cindy Bevington, the finest investigative journalist in the middle part of America who's won dozens of awards, uh, she said that this is a complete fraud and went through the great... She deconstructed it in great detail. And, uh, and we wrote this story. Now, my question is, how is it that the same legislation mandating a toxic, dangerous vaccine that's killed at least 111 young girls and caused over 24,600 adverse reactions to be reported to the FDA. And we know from the FDA former commissioner's own statements that under 10% of all adverse effects are ever reported. So multiply 10 times 100, 10 times uh, 25,000, you'll be more accurate in the amount of adverse effects and deaths. And yet I sense, though I have not been able to prove, that because the members of the pharmaceutical company that make this vaccine, Gardasil, uh, Merck, are, are a part of this ALEC movement to mandate this. Your thoughts? Well, I have to say I don't doubt your statistics. I just haven't researched it myself. Um, but I, I do think that what you have happening uh, at the federal and the state level, quite frankly, is a situation in which we have corporations that have captured the regulatory agencies in many respects. And so you have a, an FDA, a, federal, a Food and Drug Administration, whether it's under Democrats or Republicans, that has a sort of revolving door in which corporations um, have, um, uh, have their lobbyists or their representatives come in and out of that, that agency and affect the, um, you know, affect the uh, uh, policies and what they are willing to approve. We know that um, Merck, which is now, I think it was Astra Merck, and now I think it's AstraZeneca and Merck, um, that they have been, uh, that their entity was um, a member of Alex's um, Health and Human, Ta Health Human Services Task Force, which was basically setting policy and creating model bills on uh, issues of, uh, involving 
uh, drugs and access to um, access to medical care, including you know um, health care reform. Um, I think that you have a, 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 a what we've seen in this country is that y- you have so many corporations that have so much influence both over the legislators and over the regulators that it's hard to know um, it's hard to trust uh, and I think it's it's wise to not have trust quite frankly of some of the decisions of the FDA. You have a situation with the FDA in which um, virtually every week there's some drug that's recalled that they previously approved um, that has harmed people, that has killed people or severely injured them. Meanwhile, ALEC, uh, the American Legislative Exchange Council, has pushed a bill that would bar you from suing if a drug was approved by the FDA. And so what ALEC wants to do is, um, in essence, in recognition of this industry capture, uh, in many respects, of this federal agency, um, what they want to do is say that even if that agency subsequently recalls those drugs because they've harmed people, um, you can't sue. You're barred from suing them unless you can prove uh, you have like some magic uh, information that you can prove that they um, that they defrauded the FDA, that they hid information from the FDA. You know, good luck proving that. The fact is, is that that bill is designed to prevent you from holding those corporations, those multi-billion-dollar corporations, accountable for the damages done by their drugs, um, whether, it's a, whether it's in the case of a vaccine uh, like Gardasil, which um, you've cited the statistics that you've observed, uh, or whether it's in the case of a heart medicine or a contraceptive. Um, what ALEC wants to do is make sure that you cannot recover if your child, your spouse, or your parent dies or is severely injured as a result of a drug just because it was approved by the FDA, you're out of luck, you're out of court. Hmm. Now, one area that's of big concern to a lot of people is finance. Are you aware of any legislation that has occurred at the state levels to protect the bankers and the, um, the hedge fund companies, the equity partnerships, the uh, speculators and commodities from oversight or re- repercussions for their actions? What role has ALEC played on behalf of the financial community? Well, ALEC has played an extensive role in that area as well. Um, ALEC uh, has a, uh, approved a resolution opposing the Consumer uh, Financial Protection Board uh, or agency, the, uh, the CFPBA uh, or CFPBC, uh, which was the one uh, major reform really that was passed after the Wall Street meltdown. So ALEC is on record opposing the creation of new regulations to protect uh, American consumers in the wake of the gambling on Wall Street um, and the, the policies on Wall Street that, that just crushed and wrecked our economy. Um, so they've opposed that, but they've done more than that. Uh, ALEC has a number of bills that basically protect uh, some of the richest corporations in the world from, um, from regulation. And so uh, they have opposed um, uh, limits on usury or interest rates. Basically, they've opposed uh, being able to put ceilings on credit card rates. Uh, they have opposed trying to have any caps on ATM service fees. Um, they're in the pocket of the, um, the banks and of the financial services industry. Um, the, idea that, the idea that there should, there should be no limit on what interest uh, can be charged or what fees uh, a bank can charge is, is pretty astonishing. Um, and in fact, um, they have other provisions that, uh, that help 
um, help those indus- help those industries in other ways. I mean, for me to look at their bills and see them oppose having a consumer financial protection agency, oppose having any limit on interest rates, oppose having any limit on ATMs is pretty outrageous. You have credit card companies that basically jack up your rates through some fine print, and you don't even know that they have necessarily have had the so-called right to do that, and you have no recourse. And what Alec wants to do is to bar Congress. Uh, and to bar uh, the government at any level from being able to impose any caps or limits on those rates by credit card companies and by ATMs. And furthermore, they want to bar uh, the ability to have a consumer financial protection agency to try to prevent some of the um, problems that led us into the financial crisis that we're all suffering from right now. My last issue, if you would address, please, is a ethical issue. Having uncovered this what has the mainstream media, what have the, the Democrats and Republicans said about this? And I don't seem to see that there's any major concern about reining in ALEC or the state legislators. It's, not a, it's a non-issue in the mainstream media. Well, I think that the the issue has been growing in, in force within the, within the media. Certainly the alternative media... Um, helped us with the coverage coming out of our launch of Alec Exposed last summer. Um, the Nation uh, was the was the magazine that helped us to break the story, um, and other uh, magazines have uh, and, and newspapers and blogs, um, progressive outlets have worked to cover it. Uh, Democracy Now has covered it. Uh, but, Tom but the, Hartman and others. Yeah, but these but, are, the, none of these are official media. Well, I think, but I, but I would say that what's happened in the last two months, three months, is that um, after the shooting of Trayvon Martin, after the terrible tragedy that happened in Florida, and people's awareness about the ALEC role in ratifying that law after it passed and saying it should be passed in other states, that has broken open um, a window of interest by the media. And so since that time, uh, the ALEC issue has been covered on uh, MSNBC a number of times, uh, as well as on uh, CNN and CBS, the CBS affiliates uh, in Nebraska and other states have covered it. The New York Times issued a story. When we broke the story, the L.A. Times came out, but there was a long period of silence from the New York Times and from the Washington Post. But ultimately, this spring, um, they published stories and have published now, the New York Times has published a number of stories about ALEC. Uh, which we're certainly pleased to see. Bloomberg uh, Press, um, interestingly, has been one of the uh, only um, newspapers that had, or magazines that has had coverage of this since before we broke our story. Bloomberg has been uh, critical of Alec in its coverage, um, has been documenting Alec's role, and that was a big surprise. Um, but there are other places in which we haven't had that much success. We've had success, for example, getting the national public radio to cover ALEC, but the local public television stations, for the most part, have not covered it. Um, and while a number of state newspapers, like the great, uh, the great uh, uh, New Jersey newspaper, um, have done their own exposés, a lot of state house reporters, a lot of state house reporting newspapers, like the Wisconsin uh, State Journal here uh, in my home state or the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, have not covered ALEC in their print editions in their news. We got our very first editorial um, last week out of one of the two leading newspapers in the state on ALEC, 
and um, but we haven't seen coverage by state house reporters in a lot of states about which bills are ALEC bills, and um, that's been disappointing because people get their news from a number of sources, the evening news, um, a lot of people get their news obviously on the web, but a lot of people get their news only from the newspapers, and, the, and the, a lot of these state newspapers that cover the state house have been completely silent on ALEC bills that in their the states. Lisa Graves, thank you very much, and for all the good that PRWatch.org does, that's the website, or a Center for Media and Democracy. Thank you for giving us some really good insights into ALEC. Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much for having me on. I always learn so much when I talk with you. Thank you.